Well, good morning, church. Welcome to sunrise on this beautiful day. It's sunny out. It's great. It's been a bit. <clears throat> well, welcome to church. Um, I want to just start things off this morning uh, with a call to worship, reading from Psalm 105 to kind of get our hearts and our minds focused on him today, on the Lord. So hear these words. This is the first few verses from Psalm 105. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all of his wondrous acts. Glory in his name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Amen. Why don't you guys stand with us? Let's, uh, let's sing and worship this God we serve. sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin but your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remains Orphan heart was given a name. When my morning grew quiet, my fear rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me. I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes Rejoice as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. 
obviously this song was in my head all week long and uh, this chorus that we sang a lot of times it's your breath in our lungs we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it just got me thinking about um, uh, a type of prayer that's actually pretty easy pretty simple it's just called a breath prayer and I thought that would be a nice way to end the worship set um, just kind of settling into that now if you don't know what a breath prayer is I'll just kind of give you a brief a brief little teaching it's just a short one sentence prayer um, kind of half and half you as you're breathing in you kind of recite something and as you breathe out you say the next part it's kind of, it's usually based on the scripture um, you just kind of repeat it several times kind of over and over again and kind of just in a um, to help focus your attention on Jesus and in a simple simple way uh, yeah, so I thought I'd give you guys just a couple examples. A couple little snippets of scripture. So this one is based out of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. So breathing in when I am weak, breathing out, then I am strong. Or Psalm 23, breathing in the Lord is my shepherd, breathing out, I have all I need. Um, from Isaiah 40, you guys know this one probably real well. I trust in the Lord, breathing in and then breathing out. He redeems her. He renews my strength. And then from Psalm 56, really small font. When I am when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So just pulling a short little snippet of scripture, breathing in and breathing out. It helps to calm anxiety, helps to bring focus your attention on Jesus. If you're driving the car, waiting in line at the grocery store, it's an easy way just to kind of focus your attention on him. So pick one of those. And we're just going to spend a little bit of time meditation just focusing on him this morning. God, thank you that everything we have is in you. Thank you, God, for calming our hearts this morning, for receiving our praise as we bring it to you. God, thank you for the breath that we have in our lungs that we so rarely think about. But God, thank you for that, that we get to breathe in and we can exhale our praises to you, God. Help us to be in a continued mind, mindful set.
a mindset focusing on you today, God, as we hear your word spoken. Let us focus on you, Jesus. Take away the distractions of the week, of this morning even. Open our ears to hear from you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, that is good. Why don't you guys go ahead and take a seat. Winifred Caitlin Matice. Hazel. Sorry. Secondhand knowledge, so <laughs> I'm good. Um, anyway, 8.45 last night. I mean, I'm getting all this secondhand, so anybody who knows the real story, come on up. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, Julie and Noah, all good. Alethea, we'll see. So, <laughs> Our number two son is famous for having said, at the arrival of number three, I can't, I don't love him, and you can't make me. <laughs> so, anyway, all right. <laughs> okay, so my name is Byron, Byron Hurd, and I'm happy to be with you this morning. I'm glad you're here. It's important that people are here, because otherwise Bill and I would be lonely. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, at one point in my business career, I could say that I met new people every day. It was part of my job. Um, and as my age advances, I'll also be able to say, I meet new people every day. Okay? <laughs> All right? <laughs> and that's why I'm wearing the Connect card. Okay? If you are new here, recently new or even new today, we'd like to connect with you. I did see some new folks walking in this morning that I had not seen before, so if you're new here today, please do us the favor of at least trying to connect. We have uh, connect cable in, in the lobby with swag, and we have QR codes everywhere. Uh, Dan Dupuy did say he was going to get it tattooed on his forehead, uh, but I haven't seen that yet, so anyway. All right. Coming up this week, pub theology. So Noah, of course, is uh, heavily engaged in adapting to a, a second daughter. Uh, so he asked me to step in. So I, I, you'd, if, you not, if you're a guy, it is for guys, I'm sorry, it's for men. Um, if you haven't been to one, this week on Tuesday night might be a good time. Come on. Uh, two guys brewing at the corner of Byron Center and Lamar, just uh, southwest of Lamar Park, or southeast, sorry. So come join us. It's a great little pub. Um, I'll be herding the theology cats. <laughs> All right. Uh, next Sunday, partnership class. Mary and I are partners here at Sunrise. You'd benefit from being a partner. If, if you're coming on a regular basis and you're not a partner yet, I encourage you to at least step into that, find out what it's about. Um, Sunrise calls people partners, other churches call them members. It's, it's a casual thing, you know, but you would enjoy it and benefit from it. So that's next Sunday. They'll feed you lunch. You just have to let Dan Dupuy know that you'd like to come. All right? Pastor Dennis wanted me to make sure that the profession class, the profession of faith and baptism class, He'd like to meet with you and the mentors right after service this morning. Okay, so probably down the hall in the big room down there. Wine and theology. 
with Pam Rosema coming up a week from Tuesday night, so the 13th of February. And that they are going to talk about strategies for Valentine's Day, I've been told. So <laughs> the next day. All right. So this one, this one, oh, next Sunday. Corey, what's going on next Sunday? We are Sweet. Awesome. Terry Hall, Granville, next Sunday. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so Emily Heisen came up to me this morning and said, So, Byron, did you get your tax statement from Sunrise? No, actually, I did not. Would you like to get one? <laughs> yes, I would. Well, apparently there's some issue with the new giving platform. So if you gave and you know had your giving tracked in 2023 and you did not get a billing statement, Emily, would you like to wave your hand? She's way at the back. Nice blonde here, the lady that was singing this morning. So find Emily. She also has an email address if you want to note that if you, you can remember. Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, and Heisen, H-U-I-Z-E-N, emily.heisen at gmail.com. So Emily can get you a tax statement for your giving last year. So we're pretty low-key here at Sunrise, which is a good thing. And... At the same time, we need our people who attend to support us financially. Now, we don't have a committee that comes to your house on Tuesday night and says, so uh, what's your annual income? We don't do that, okay? But we do want to make you aware that, you know, we are hoping you will support the church financially. And to make that possible, we have the QR code that leads you to our Facebook page and website. And we have a handy offering box in the back as they said at Mars Hill, a joy box. Yeah. All right. So now, kids, we're not going to skedaddle today. We're going to make a break for it. Okay? So kids are making a break for it. <laughs> All right. So you have three minutes now to go find somebody that you don't quite recognize and connect with them. Thanks. All right. Good morning. We can make our way back to our seats. You might have noticed that I am not Dennis Moles. <laughs> My name is Bill Vanderwerp. I'm an RCA pastor and I am a pinch hitter today. Uh, my wife Amy and I, we've been attending here for about a year now, so we have gotten to know some of you, um, and it's uh, good to be um, able to help Dennis out today. Before we begin, will you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord, your word is the bread of life. To that end, help me to say the right things. Let it sink into their hearts and may it accomplish your purpose. And all God's people said, Amen. This morning we are continuing the sermon series on the Sabbath. Today's sermon is the Sabbath as rest and peace. Dennis is leading by example today by taking a Sabbath for some rest and peace in his life. That's a good thing. Now, before we get into today's message, I want to just connect real quickly to a few key points from previous weeks to keep us all on the same page. 
We began on Genesis, or excuse me, January 14, with the title, And It Was Very Good. Dennis began by looking at the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. And he said that work and rest are good gifts from God. It's not always about doing more for God. Instead, Sabbath reminds us to rest in God. On January 21, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The text that morning was from Exodus 16. And we learned that all times and all spaces can be sacred times and spaces. But not all of them are set apart necessarily for the same purpose. Sabbath is an invitation for us to set aside things like greed and fear, and it's an opportunity to trust in God. Last Sunday was the Sabbath as hope. And using Exodus 23, verses 10 through 13, Dennis explained that Sabbath helps us to rest in hope while we acknowledge the brokenness that surrounds us in our world. Today, as we look at Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 27, we're going to explore, as I said, the Sabbath as a time for rest and peace. And before we do that, I'm just kind of curious about something. What rules did you all have growing up around what you could and could not do on Sunday? Anybody have anything that stands out as like, why did we do that? Yeah? Can't play cards on the beach. <laughs> Any other rules that you had to follow on Sunday? No work. What's that? No TV. No TV? Couldn't mow the grass? Yeah. That one wasn't so bad. <laughs> I grew up in Zealand, and I remember that there were no stores. Or restaurants open. There was only one pharmacy in Holland that was open, and they would rotate that on a weekly basis so that not, it wasn't the same week. All of the doctors seemed to have a schedule, so if they had to say, give you an urgent prescription, they could tell you where you had to go to get it filled. I attended Holland Christian High School. The teachers there kind of had a rule that, well, your homework is your work, and you shouldn't work on Sunday. So they told us we couldn't do our homework on Sunday. Pretty sure I did. <laughs> I was in high school youth group when the Meyer store in Holland announced that they were going to be open on Sundays. That was a big deal for that community. And I remember having a discussion about it in youth group, and I was pretty much in the minority when I said I thought it was okay for Meyers to be open on Sunday. Because not everybody shared the same beliefs and the same Sabbath day that we did. And if the Seventh-day Adventists weren't complaining that Myers was open on Sunday or Saturday, why should I complain that it's open on Sunday for them? But their plan was, the community's plan was they were going to boycott Myers, they were going to shut that store down. Now there's two of them. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to more important things. A while back, I scribbled a note in my Bible. I found it a couple of weeks ago again. I'm pretty sure Dennis said this, but if not, it was some other really smart guy. Either way, I'm stealing it today. The note said, the Bible was written to other people. 
Yet at the same time, the Bible is written for us. So when we study scripture, we need to take two things into consideration. The first one is the contextual meaning. What was the context and message for the original recipients? And the second one is the universal. What does the text mean for us today? And this morning, I want to look at those two things as we look at Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Listen to these words from Scripture. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In the verses that preceded this text, the Pharisees questioned Jesus about why his disciples weren't fasting the same way they did or how the same way as the disciples of John the Baptizer did. And now they introduce another controversy, the proper observance of the Sabbath. In both of these situations, they are bringing up what they consider to be violations of Mosaic laws. Now, understanding these laws is foundational for the text we're studying this morning, so we're going to dig into that a little bit further. Regulations concerning the Sabbath were at the very core of Judaism. Keeping the Sabbath originated in the creation story and later was firmly established in Mosaic law as part of the Ten Commandments. You remember these, this, these verses from Exodus chapter 20? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gate. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Keeping the Sabbath served as a witness to other nations that Yahweh truly ruled the nation of Israel. And to break his Sabbath law was considered to be an act of rebellion against God. And such acts were considered to be so serious that they merited the death penalty. Today we tend to view that fourth commandment as being a restrictive thing. But for the Israelites, the command to honor the Sabbath was actually a very liberating commandment. Remember, they had been slaves for over 400 years. They didn't get weekends off. They worked what they were told, for as long as they were told, and as hard as they were told. They didn't get overtime for working on Sunday. In fact, they didn't get paid at all. They got minimal rest, 
and they never got a vacation. So when God told them that they were to take one day off every week and do nothing but rest and worship him on that day, this was great news. Two weeks ago, Dennis mentioned the term legalism. Now, the dictionary defines legalism this way. It's excessive adherence to the law or formula. When it comes to theology, it's dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. Well, that's a good definition, but I like this one better. Legalism is the absence of faith while stressing obedience. In our text today, legalism refers to the strict interpretation of the Mosaic law the disciples were being accused of breaking. Now, did you ever wonder how something as simple as resting on the Sabbath day can become so complicated and legalistic? Now, giving them the benefit of the doubt, I personally don't believe the original intent of the Jewish religious leaders was to be cruel and burdensome. I believe that their desire was to ensure a careful observance of the Sabbath. But in their zealous pursuit of the details, things maybe got out of hand. So let me give you an example of how something that starts out as a good thing morphs into petty rules and extreme interpretations. Today I'm writing laws of my own. And if Moses can name laws after him, so can I. I'm calling my new rules Bilzaic Law. I think it's a good name. It's a catchy name. You'll get used to it. And I'm starting out with the idea that drunkenness is a bad thing. Is that something we can agree on? At least the majority of us, maybe? Okay, I've created a new rule. Bilzaic law number one, thou shalt not get drunk. But I wouldn't want anyone to accidentally cross the line from drinking to being drunk. So I think I should probably tighten this up a little bit. I'll do that by amending Bilzaic law number one to prohibit drinking any amount of alcohol at any time for any reason. That should fix it. But, of course, that would prohibit groups of people from gathering and having a glass of beer or wine while discussing <laughs> things like life and theology and how to live in the world as followers of Christ. I mean, that in and of itself is a good thing. But still, I simply can't risk that kind of behavior getting out of hand. Which makes this a great time to introduce a new program that starts right now. Soda theology. You know what? All denominations are welcome. Cans, bottles, fountain drinks, regular diet. I'm so outreach focused, I'll even let Pepsi drinkers join the group. Maybe. Where were we? Oh yeah, Bilzaic Law number one with his first amendment. But you know, I think there's still some room to tighten this up even more. Instead of just banning the of alcoholic beverages, I should also ban the consumption of any products, any products that contain alcohol. What else is there, you ask? That was your cue. What else is there, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
let me tell you. There's a product. It's made from soybeans, wheat, salt, and water. It's then fermented to break it down, which creates small amounts of alcohol. Anybody have any idea what that product is? Soy sauce. Depending on the, Bruce, the producer, soy sauce contains between one and a half to two percent alcohol. So if I catch you eating stir fry <laughs> or dipping your sushi in soy sauce, I'm going to have to report you to the council. Does that sound a bit harsh? Well, hang on, Buttercup, it's about to get worse. <laughs> Anybody here enjoy eating things like cookies? Or donuts? Or pie? You know, a common ingredient in all of these things is vanilla extract. Did you know that the FDA requires that pure vanilla extract have an ethyl alcohol content of at least 35%? It's right on the label. Vanilla beans, water, alcohol. That's the ingredients. Now, a recipe may only call for a teaspoon or a tablespoon of that to be used, and the heat from the cooking destroys 60% of the alcohol, so there's really only a trace amount left in the finished product. But a rule is a rule, right? No more donuts after church. <laughs> Personally, I find a restriction on baked goods pretty hard to swallow. <laughs> I'm going to need to wash that one down with my favorite beverage. I like Diet Coke. Okay, that's a lie. I love this stuff. <laughs> and I drink way too much of it. If you cut me, I bleed Diet Coke. <laughs> so I was more than just a little bit traumatized when my research this past week revealed that Coke and Pepsi products contain alcohol. Now, it isn't an added ingredient, but it's formed by the fer fermentation of other ingredients during the production process. Now, don't panic. It's less than 0.001%. Still, a rule is a rule, right? You know what? I'm sorry. I, I can't do it. I'm not going to do that. Bilzaic Law is hereby banished from the land. It was dumb. Pub and wine theology are back on the schedule. I get to remain carbonated and caffeinated. And we can all have a donut after church. Life is good. And I got to drink Diet Coke during the sermon. <laughs> okay, that was maybe a ridiculous example. But can you see how easily something that started out good got twisted around into something that it wasn't meant to be? Now let's look at how that happened with the Mosaic laws regarding keeping the Sabbath. Now the tabernacle was the traveling church facility used by the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. It provided a place where God's presence could dwell within the material world. It was a place where human beings could go and commune with God. And after Moses gave the people instructions for building the tabernacle, and right before the construction began, 
we read this in Exodus 35, verses 1 through 3. Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, There are things the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it must be put to death. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Now that third verse is one of two commands that were spoken by Moses that later morphed into 39 prohibitions from the religious leaders. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. This connection between the Sabbath and the tabernacle is further emphasized in Leviticus 19 verse 30 where we read, Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So it was this side-by-side placement of the Sabbath and the tabernacle that led the religious leaders to ban any work on the tabernacle on Sunday. Well, that's fair enough. God said, no work on the Sabbath. So the Jewish religious leaders developed a list prohibiting 39 types of work, or melakots, directly associated with the construction of the tabernacle. Again, these are foundational to what's going on in our text this morning, so let's just take a brief look at them. The first one was the order of garments. This list includes anything used in making the fabrics that were used in the tabernacle. And notice the extreme detail on these lists. You couldn't thread a needle. You couldn't make two loops of thread. That's the vanilla extract of Mosaic law. Second one was the order of hides. Again, extreme detail about anything related to making the leather materials that were used in the tabernacle. Then came the order of construction. And this list covers everything from making blueprints to rough-in and final construction and everything in between. And finally, relevant to our text this morning is the order of bread. Now there were 12 loaves of showbread representing the 12 tribes of Israel that were placed on a golden table in the tabernacle every Sabbath day. They served as a visible reminder that God was their source of life and nourishment. And a very special process was used to make this sacred bread. So it could be displayed for a full week and remain unspoiled and then was later eaten by the priests but only by the priests. Now on this list are 11 tasks involved in the making of the showbread used in the tabernacle. It covers everything from planting the seed to baking the bread. So all of these activities were prohibited on the Sabbath. The third and fourth items on this list, reaping and gathering, is what has the Pharisees' blood in a flood in Mark's gospel. Okay. I've taken a long detour to lay the foundation. Let's go back to our text, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? On this particular Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples were walking through someone's grain field. The disciples were hungry. They picked some grain to eat. The Pharisees viewed this as a violation of 
Mosaic law. And they demanded an explanation from Jesus. And I absolutely love the manner in which Jesus countered their attack. He used scripture the same as they were. He drives them back into their Bibles with an example from the Old Testament. By the way, he's referring to 1 Samuel 121. If you, excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 21, if you want to read about it in more detail later. Verse 25 says, he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now David and his soldiers were in hiding and they were literally fleeing for their lives. They were not just hungry. They were in desperate need of food. So David went to the temple and asked if they could eat the showbread. Remember, this consecrated bread was only lawful for the priest to eat. However, the priest, seeing their need, allowed them to eat it. Now, it's worth noting that under Mosaic law, when human life is in danger, a human person is not only allowed to, but required to, violate any Sabbath law that stands in the way of saving that person. So neither the priest or David and his men acted sinfully there. Life is holier than bread. In 1 Samuel, the bread served a practical need for God's anointed, David, and his followers. In Mark's gospel, the grain served a practical need for God's anointed, Jesus, and his followers. And Jesus concludes his response to the Pharisees by saying this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now these two short verses contain two very important teachings. First, the Sabbath was intended to help people, not burden them. The disciples had not broken God's law. They had only violated the Pharisees' strict interpretation of the law. So Jesus reminded the Pharisees of the original intent of Sabbath rest. Second, with Jesus' final statement in this chapter, he is declaring his lordship over the law. These religious leaders had, in essence, made themselves lords of the law, lords of the Sabbath, and lords over the people. But they had it all wrong. John 1 clearly tells us that Christ, the Word made flesh, was an integral part of creation. He created the Sabbath day. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the author of Mosaic law. He is greater than the law. And as such, he reclaimed both the Sabbath and his lordship. And that leads us now to the universal meaning of this text. What is this text saying to us today? Like all of the prophets before him, Jesus observed and kept the Sabbath day. And he expects his followers to do the same. However, what Jesus desires is a non-legalistic, real day of rest. 
a Sabbath that includes time for corporate worship, time to come into the presence of God, time for spiritual renewal, time to be formed by God. A Sabbath that includes a departure from our normal routines, that helps us to remove the chaos from our lives, that allows us to enjoy the results of our work. Now, I live and work in the real world just like all of you do. It's expensive out there. I know it's hard for many people to cover the basic necessities of housing and food and transportation. Two-income families have been the norm for a long time, and many people that I know work more than one job. Without working overtime, the bills don't always get paid. Some of you work jobs that have a 24-7, 365 schedule to them. I've had several jobs like that in my life, so I get it. And like you, I had kids too. Now it's grandkids. And I know that their schedules further complicate your schedule. The reality is that in a society that expects us to run at full capacity all of the time, it's difficult to take a day off. As the worship team makes its way back up to the stage, I just want to draw a few connecting lines back to things that Dennis taught us in previous weeks. Should we keep the Sabbath? Yes, absolutely. What day and time you do that isn't important. What is important is that you find time, make time for Sabbath rest somewhere in all of the chaos of life. Why should we keep the Sabbath? Because that's how we learn to trust God to provide. If we work nonstop, we idolize our work. And I have to admit that I was guilty of doing that for many years. And there's a price that gets paid for overworking. The American Association of Christian Counselors reports that working without taking Sabbath break leads to physical exhaustion, breakdown of our mental health, increases our stress levels, and increases our susceptibility to illnesses. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Observance of Sabbath rest is not about petty rules and regulations. It's about restoring the shalom, the peace and rest that God desires for his people. It's an opportunity and an invitation. It's an opportunity to free ourselves from fear, greed, self-importance, and idolatry. It's an invitation to give yourself a break, to invest time in others, to say no to busyness, and say yes to the greatest thing of all, God. We remember the Sabbath day by keeping the main thing, the main thing. I'm going to close this morning by praying in first-person language. I'm doing this because idolizing work is something that I did and still struggle with. But I invite you to make these words your personal prayer as well. Lord of the Sabbath, I admit that I have not always observed the Sabbath 
as I should have. You created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And I should do the same. I acknowledge that you have a plan for me and that tomorrow's work week can wait. I know that no matter what happens, the task will get done if I steward my time well and observe periods of rest. Help me to withdraw from the workaholic mindset that today's culture perpetuates. Although it's important to work hard and do everything as if I was working for you, I should also withdraw and rest in your presence as well. Jesus, you withdrew from the crowds for times of rest and prayer. May I do the same with my work and my work week. Amen. Let's sing together as we close the service.
I can hardly speak peace so unexplainable I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who i am you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's who i am it's who i am it's who i am you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways You are perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. of Sabbath rest and head back out into a world filled with chaos. Remember to share the good news of the gospel with others who are struggling to find shalom. And know that as you leave here this morning, you leave with the blessing of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.